our big hypothesis that when you look at most marketing and advertising, there's a certain amount of like happy washing that goes on. Like you look at most financial service or insurance company commercials, everybody's happy. The Thanksgiving dinner table is set. Everyone's come home. It's all good. And we're ready to rock. But I don't know. Humans are more complex than that. Right. And so I think our push in this report is we talk about like emotional realism. And it doesn't mean that it needs to be sad, but it does mean that there's probably a whole host of emotions that most brands don't touch for whatever reason. That's Ben Zeidler, co-founder of Nonfiction Research, who uncovered the deepest parts of humanity with an uncensored look at America's Spotify playlist of all things. He's challenging brands to meet people where they are, even if it's dark. Welcome to Uncooked, a podcast serving up raw insights for marketers as we hear the unfiltered truth from industry experts, brands, and the target audiences we serve in their own words. I'm your host, Jacqueline Lieberman, and today on Uncooked is my guest, Ben Zeidler from Nonfiction Research. He and his business partner, Gunny Scarfo, started nonfiction to, quote, gleefully violate the norms of traditional research. So what does that mean exactly? Well, they've ventured, you know, unchaperoned into a prison. They've surveyed rap lyrics to chart personal finance trends, and they've run quantitative studies on the secret sex lives of Americans. You know, normal stuff. But with so many layers to unpack here, this is part two of our discussion. If you want to hear about how nonfiction interviewed bank robbers and Navy SEALs for human insights, hit pause now, listen to part one from last week, and then come back. Otherwise, we're digging right in. So we were getting these reports that we were paying a ton of money for, and Gunny and I were like at a loss with what to do with them after a couple of reads. And so we started to do our own supplementary research, right? We started to interview experts. We started to have more consumer interviews. And then we kind of turned what was a strategy practice into partially like a primary research practice, right? We started doing it. And the stuff we were getting out of it was a lot more useful to Gunny's strategy team, to the creative team that needed to be briefed in, like all the ancillary teams in an agency that we work with, like they were hinging off of our research in a different way than they were hinging off of what we were reading from the syndicated stuff. So for us, that was it, right? It was like the research that's out there, it's very surface level. Everybody has it. It's great to get smart really quickly, but it wasn't leading us anywhere new. It wasn't helping us make decisions. So we started creating it. I can at least appreciate from a qual perspective, you know, when you get that aha moment, you know, and you're kind of landing on something, or at least you're circling over something. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, do you recall your last, you know, quote unquote, aha moment when you've conducted research or, you know, for something you've done recently? Yeah, I'm trying to think what I can talk about. <laughs> Definitely talk about all the secrets right here. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Like all these NDAs I'm signing. <laughs> you could talk in hypothetical. Okay. You know what though? I'll, I'll do the playlist report that we just put out, which is another syndicated report. We thought that we were going to study Americans' Spotify playlists, which we did. But we thought it was going to be a story about suicide and music helping people through dark times. It's kind of like what our hypothesis was going in. And I think that's true to some extent, but it didn't play out. And like we fielded a whole survey around that idea about music helping pull people out of dark times. And it existed in little patches, but there just wasn't a big story there. So we, we did a whole nationwide study that we like threw out because it just there there wasn't anything really to talk about there. 
right? And it doesn't mean suicide is not an important issue, but it's just our hypothesis around music didn't, it wasn't panning, right? It wasn't panning out, okay. It wasn't panning. So we were like, okay, we have this incredible ability to like look inside the minds of Americans' playlists anyway. So like, let's do that. We need data that's not just- How did um, you do that, by the way? Yeah, so typically for our reports, we have quantitative studies that we do, right? They're nationwide. We write a study, we put them out, and we get back the data. But for this, we needed the, it's all primary data, but we needed like the source data. We need the Spotify data, right? And that's kind of where the pivot of the project was, was we're like, you can't just ask people, tell me about the time when music helped you get through a dark, like it wasn't, yeah. we weren't able to get it, right? We needed to observe it, but you can't go into people's homes. This was during COVID, can't go into people's homes, might not be able to do this anyway, and be like, pull up your Spotify playlist. Let me see your dark, deep emotions. But what we realized was that most Spotify playlists are actually public. So a PSA for all of your listeners, go check your Spotify playlists because they're probably public and you never made them private. <laughs> right. And so we built a scraper that would, it's anonymous, but it would pull down the titles of the playlists, the descriptions, and the songs, the tracks, right? And in that, we saw the story. And, and that was like the aha moment was that people were searching for these like deep and dark emotions. It, it was dark the way we kind of thought it was going to be dark, but it didn't. The suicide story was a specific story within this larger picture of Americans wanting to feel deep and dark emotions, right? And wanting to like struggle with their humanity in all the ways that it takes them. And sometimes that's beautiful, right? So just to put a finer point on that. So you're meaning that people are listening to certain music and certain playlists because they want to lean into whatever that emotion is, as opposed to kind of brushing it off. I'm in the mood to cry. I'm in That's the it. mood to whatever. You said it better than me. The playlist titles that we saw weren't that thing. I thought they were going to be that, right? I thought they were going to be like pump up stuff. And there's some of that, but a lot of it was like really specific, deep and dark emotion hunting. So it's people writing playlists like, it's 3 a.m. and I'm on a porch crying in a dress. Right. Oh, shit. Okay. What is this thing? Like, talk about an aha moment, right? You start combing through 10,000 playlist titles and the descriptions, and you're like, oh my goodness, like, look at this. Like, there's a whole life behind the scenes that no one's talking about around music, just like it was about money. You're seeing like the same themes come back, but it holds clues to what people are really feeling. I'll never forget, we had one playlist. The users are anonymized, but they have like user IDs. So you could take the user ID and track playlists over time. And there was one user who made a playlist about a miscarriage that she had had wow. and helping her get through the miscarriage. And then three years later, she had another playlist for the birth of her child. Mm. Um, it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. So, and you got like a little sneak peek into her life. Yeah. And she's using playlists to help her manage all the parts of life, right? The joys and the sadnesses and all those things. So well, that's sort of like the aha moment, right? Mm -hmm. I, I know it took a while to get there, but we were, we were like, whoa, there's something major happening here. Sometimes I don't want to be happy. Don't hold it against me. If when I dug deeper into the story of Playlist Report, I saw the actual playlist titles Ben is talking about. Listen to some of these. So here's the first one. Now, excuse me, I need to take a shower so I can't tell if I'm crying. Sad, closeted, gay hours. My grief, my infertility. Crying in the laundry room at 2 a.m. Pant, shitting, breakdowns. I regret the thing I did. 
I want to kill myself 100%. Drugs and abuse. And finally, there is no home. Yeah, they have stumbled on some really heavy stuff. Our big hypothesis is that when you look at most marketing and advertising, there's a certain amount of like happy washing that goes on. Like you look at most financial service or insurance company commercials, everybody's happy. The Thanksgiving dinner table is set. Everyone's come home. It's all good. And we're ready to rock. But I don't know, humans are more complex than that, right? And so I think our push in this report is we talk about like emotional realism. And it doesn't mean that it needs to be sad, but it does mean that there's probably a whole host of emotions that most brands don't touch for whatever reason. And maybe they should, because there's a whole legion of Americans out there writing playlist titles, like I'm crying on my porch and it's 3 a.m. and I'm in a dress. So yeah, yeah, that's real. The term Ben mentioned earlier called emotional realism is defined as an embrace of the true full range of human emotion, including deep and dark private emotions that rarely see the light of day. 44% of Americans confess that they have listened to music to purposely feel dark emotions. 31% have confessed they've listened to music just to feel something, anything at all. One interviewee expressed, sad music when I'm sad is a really special experience. There's a lot of music I've curated to hold me. I'm seeking a way to make myself comfortable inside of those dark emotions. Wow. It does seem like that there's an overwhelming craving for Americans to feel something real, even if it's dark. Now that they've uncovered this recess of emotions in music playlists, nonfiction moves on to ask, if in private Americans are craving deep, dark emotions, is it weird at all that in public life we mostly pretend these emotions don't exist? Such a good question. Going back to the Spotify research for a second, yeah. is the application for brands and marketers, so if they're listening to this right now and they go to your site and they download that report, but the application would be is that they could look at it through with a lens of saying, how can I have a little bit more realism in my communication as opposed to the happy washing, like you say? In your mind, do you think that that's been a prevalent problem in the industry? I think so. I think there's a lot of brands that are afraid to take risks or they think, I've heard the term sad advertising a lot, which I actually like, but I think they think that real has to mean sad, but I don't think that's true. Nobody loses money showing a happy family sitting around, yeah. their family sitting around a table, right? So I think the risk taking is something that people are going to need to grow into. But I suspect, and this is where we get into like a little bit of like prognostication territory, but I suspect that if consumers are feeling this thing like deep in their bones enough to make a playlist, that if a brand were to speak to them the way that they really are, that that brand could do well or would be seen as understanding them. The playlist report has a storyboard mock-up of how emotional realism could play out in real-life marketing. This is a hypothetical ad for Airbnb, but here's how it's laid out. After Noah and I broke up, I was devastated. I couldn't picture a world where we weren't together. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. There were nights I laid in the bathtub for hours on end, fully clothed, sobbing. I didn't realize just how out of control I'd gotten until I woke up 
early one morning on my own lawn, crying myself to sleep the night before. I needed a fresh start. I needed to be anywhere but where I was. With nothing left to lose, I booked a trip to South America. Getting away changed everything. It reminded me who I was. It taught me that I could be something more than I was with Noah. It wasn't until I traveled away from everything that I felt like I really belonged again. Airbnb. Belong anywhere. Okay, fine. Maybe Noah was onto something by breaking up with her. But you get the idea. As marketers, if we have the understanding and the bravery to tap into deep emotion, that's the first step to human marketing. An example of leaning into deep emotion is the TV show This Is Us, which nonfiction believes it to be nicknamed This Is Sad, or as I've heard it referred to as Time to Cry. In the report is an ad agency strategist quoted as saying, Brands are dying to be loved, but scared shitless to actually do something that shows they understand humans. The minute the strategy or the creative work starts to reveal how complicated or painful or messy it is to be alive, it's labeled as too negative or too dark. I can't say I disagree with that quote. There's a bit of risk involved on behalf of the brand for sure. But think of it this way. If your audience has already moved into this place of real they will come to expect it from the brands that they surround themselves with. Next, we talk about how big players like Disney and others use nonfiction surgically to uncover insights big firms leave on the table. How do you think perceptions about research should be changing? And what do you think nonfiction, like what's your role in that? Because you think about large global companies, is your vision that they just scrap their huge conglomerate research firms and replace them with a nonfiction? Or is nonfiction kind of a situational, I have a question, a burning question that I need answers and I need like a a special ops team of research to get in there. That's it. That's the best commercial for nonfiction I could ever give. It's special ops team. Awesome. We work a lot. I'll talk about some of the challenges research perception wise as well, but we work really well with other research teams. I think the big challenges for research and they're hard and we're working on all three is that one, that research is boring. I think we're doing a good job of combating that. The second one is that it's a loss leader, which is a little bit tough, right? It's this idea of, well, you got to spend 50K on research up front. We don't know what's going to come of it, but it's just something that we do. And I want to get people away from that mentality because I think we can make your spend on the back end way better. That's sort of my perspective on that is that if you're a brand, look, if you're doing something small and you need directional research, then do not spend 50K on research. Do not spend 100K on research. But if you're a brand that's making a $200 million decision, then it's imperative that you get that decision right. And so I'm trying to turn us less of a loss leader and more into a, let's bring your confidence level up and let's give you some angles on your problem that maybe you weren't aware that you had. And then the last part, which is like, I guess a little bit of like a niche case, but this idea that it's like siloed or disconnected from the rest of the process. I think we hear that a lot. It feels like research is in its own like universe. And that's easy. That's just like an integration problem. And it's bringing more people into the process up front, getting them excited about it, doing the stakeholder interviews that I think everybody glosses over and thinks are a waste of time. That's where the richness is always. That's good stuff. I love the yeah. stakeholder interviews. And if you can start, I love your perspective on it, but even talking to people who are not your direct clients, but who are impacted down the line, you start hearing stuff that you're like, oh, that. And then when you're doing the research, 
you're thinking about, yes, the burning question, but you're also thinking about the 10 other people that you talk to. So who hires nonfiction? Hopefully a lot of people. We are hired by large companies. So we work with Disney, Viacom, AIG, a couple others, Genentech. And then we work with a lot of ad agencies, which is the shorter projects. So when we're working with like a Disney or Viacom, it's these massive eight to 12 week studies where we are solving like a major problem or they are going to put out some huge overarching thought leadership piece, right? When we work with agencies, it's quicker. Those are normally like sprint projects. So it's two to four weeks. Sometimes it's one week. I try to avoid those sometimes. 72 hours. Yeah, well, no, none of those, thank God. But we do shorter projects for them because that's the way they work, right? And that's the way they operate. So we work with a lot of agencies. And then we have a third bucket that I'm really excited about, which is more cause-based organizations. So that's probably where I would put Ad Council. We've worked with a climate change organization. So what do you think then traditional research is lacking in terms of they obviously have the resources at these large firms to do lots of quant, lots of qual, but why do you think that they stop at the surface level the way that they do? I don't think they're that hungry. Mm. I don't think they're that hungry. There's a lot of budgets that just get passed down year over year over year. That's a great answer. You buy the subscription because... Bill was here before you and he bought the subscription and somebody who's senior to you said that they liked the subscription. And then you, and then, so that's why that company, God bless them. They should, they should just keep doing the same thing and getting paid to do it, but we're really hungry. So I'm thinking about constantly, like, what are we doing wrong? What are we fucking up? What should we be doing that we're not doing? Would it be interesting if we did this other thing? Like, what would that look like? We really just are like truth hunters out there. And that leads you to good places. And that makes you make good decisions around the techniques that you choose and try out. We're constantly trying techniques, right? Like I've been doing research for 12 years now. Gunny's been doing it for 20. But we are constantly talking to new vendors, trying out new techniques, doing different things, spending more time with respondents, less time with respondents, trying out new survey constructions. Like it is a lab over here at nonfiction. And then whatever works, we use on our clients. But we're trying shit out. And I don't know that big, big, big research companies, and I come from two of them, are doing that. And I just think it's a hunger problem. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, both of our firms are aligned on the truth seeking and truth hunting because that's if you don't start from a place of truth, what are you doing? Then, you know, then really you're just contributing to the noise. And who needs that? No one. Okay, I'm jumping in here for a second to highlight the quote unquote hunger problem Ben is referring to. This problem about not being hungry enough to service clients spans across every industry vertical, from what we're talking about here and now to big ad and media agencies to retailers, you name it. I'm sure you've seen it. All I can say is if companies are not in the regular practice of really examining their methods, their offerings to clients, and even the skill sets of their people, forget it. They're in the complacency zone, man, and firms like nonfiction and my consultancy brand Crudo, we're just waiting for it. And they're going to say, well, they can have our table scraps and they'll call them table scraps, but we're going to call them clients. Smaller businesses deliver and we have more skin in the game. I'm just saying. How has the last couple of months of what you would normally be doing in research, how's this ridiculous pandemic that we're in <laughs> changed life? The good thing is that we were always 
very reliant on one-on-one -on -one interviews and we do them all over the phone anyway. There's like a, when there's no video, we call it like, like the church confessional kind of thing. And, yeah. And like strips away that face-to-face -face thing, which is actually a good thing for building intimacy and building up trust. So that hasn't changed. We normally on a project will go to wherever it's imperative that we go to. So for Disney, we were in like teacher lunchrooms in Georgia for the ad council. Gunny was at this halfway rehabilitation house in Appalachia in West Virginia. So we normally go in the field for days at a time and spend time with people. I'll tell you the thing that's better is the questions are better. So just like the research, you know, that was year over year being done where they're asking the same survey questions over and over and over. I think there were some clients who were getting into habits about what they wanted to learn. Mm. And this year has broken them out. Of that. And so the questions that we're getting to go chase are miles more interesting and more complex. Like what? Can you give us one question? I'm doing some work right now with an agency. It's an agency us, and it's a major home improvement store. And thinking about how changes in the home have unfolded during COVID and how those needs might have changed. That's a very different project than it would have been a year ago or two years ago, right? Two years ago, we would have been talking about, well, here's HGTV and here's Joanna Gaines and here's, here's this. We are in a totally different class of decision-making and spend right now when it comes to consumers and what they're doing in their homes and what they think about their homes and using their homes for and the utility of those spaces. So yeah, totally different question, right? And so yeah. I love it. It's a better question now than it would have been before. Write the headline five years from now in a glowing feature story about nonfiction. One of our like friends in the industry, a guy named Tom Goodwin, who always writes like various hot takes on things. It's when you ask Tom for a quote, you don't know exactly what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. And he said about us that we were more like detectives than researchers. And I love that. Yeah. So I would say it would be something like world's strangest research company uncovers massive fraud or something like we I want like a big ticket win and I love helping brands and we'll do that forever but I would love to go uncover through our methods some like major injustice that is happening and then bring that to light I think we could do it I think we have the people and we have the techniques and I don't know, I just like, I think nonfiction is at its best when it's solving really big problems. Mm. There's no client on that one. It's just like, well, these guys are nuts and look at what they found. And so I'd love to dabble in that. Writing wrongs. Yeah. Ben, thank you so much for being on Uncooked. This was a fun conversation. I can't wait to see what the reaction is from the listeners and see what questions we get. And I hope that we get to collab on a project soon. Yeah, this was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to see what everyone at legacy research companies think about it. It's going to be an exciting week for everyone. I mentioned this point in the last episode, but it bears repeating. Ben thought that they were fielding a study about music and its influence on suicidal thoughts. There wasn't a big story there, though. The story that they did find was that people were willingly listening to music to, as nonfiction calls it, emotion hunting, as part of a healing process or sometimes to feel hopeless before feeling any hope at all. They didn't force their hypothesis is really the point. They let the data tell the story. 
That might sound obvious, but you know you've seen people in full-on departments bend data to their will because they're trying to validate an idea that is already bought off on by the client. Don't be that team. Have the guts to change course and make the work better. Then the second point is this notion of emotional realism, replacing the quote-unquote happy washing we often see in advertising. That's interesting to me. Nonfiction, what they want is for us to take away what emotional realism is not. It's not about being dark for the sake of dark, being emotionally manipulative just to sell more crap, or fabricating intense emotions without the right intention. There's a middle ground and we need to find it. It's about embracing a territory that's less than perfect. So for example, if your brand DNA is rooted in helping people go beyond their limitations, Instead of looking at people just killing it out there, we should look at the flip side. First, find what are the perceived barriers people encounter, and then go deeper to find how do they feel when they encounter those barriers. Because when we talk to our audiences at eye level, that becomes the basis of an emotionally real brand communication. And finally, we know the effects of this pandemic are felt far and wide and we have yet really to understand the ripple effects. But as Ben brought up, it's really forcing us to rethink basically everything, right down to the research questions we ask and the methods we use to get the answers. The notion of quote, purchase intent goes out the window if we're talking about buying out shelves of cleaning products. The notion of home improvements have swiftly moved from the Joanna Gaines nice to have territory to being a must have now that most families are home together. At least the bright spot that I can see in all of this is it's really shaken us and broken us out of our personal routines and professional ruts. Well, that's something, isn't it? This has been an episode of Uncooked. I'm Jacqueline Lieberman, founder and chief strategist at Brand Crudo, a marketing consultancy. You can learn more about what we do at brandcrudo.com. I want to thank Ben Zeiler from Nonfiction Research for sharing his valuable insights and unconventional research methods with me today. You can learn more about what they do at nonfiction.co. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review. It's the only way the podcast can grow to new people. A quick 60 seconds is all it takes, and your feedback would mean the world to me. Thank you so much for listening.